thank you very much for coming here tonight. We're going to talk about do aliens exist? You may think that's a strange topic for uh, creationists to be talking about, but you're going to see that it is actually quite applicable for people in the church today. As a matter of fact, I think it is extremely important that we discuss this topic because uh, the world is. You can't avoid it. Uh, you watch Discovery Channel, History Channel, all over the place. Uh, well, all of these things that the scientists can't explain, they don't you know, default to God, they default to aliens. And so I've seen on Discovery Channel that it was actually aliens that gave the Israelites manna. They uh, taught them how to make a manna machine, uh, to make manna. They're just crazy things like that. And so it is an important issue. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you watch this video, it might show you some other reasons why this could be important. Eleven-year-old James Leininger looks and acts like most boys his age, but beneath his playful spirit is a very deep soul. And I said, you know, I'm really glad you're my son, and I'm uh, uh, just really fun to have you as my son. And he says, well, he says, I know, that's why I picked you. When we first met Bruce, Andrea, and James in 2005, his passion for World War II fighter planes was obvious. I can beat the Japanese easy as pie. The fascination began when he was a toddler. The pilot put him on. James seemed intimately familiar with the aircrafts. He started doing these little drawings of airplanes shooting at other airplanes are being shot down. Bombing ships, you see men parachuting. Here's another one where planes are dropping bombs. This is a carrier. The violent drawings were followed by extreme night terrors. He would just be crying. He'd say, airplane crash on fire, little man can't get out. He laid on his back and kicked up at the ceiling and he goes, Mama, the little man's going like this. And he laid on his back and kicked his feet up. The little man's going, ooh, 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 can't get out. And I said, well, who's the little man, baby? And he goes, me. I thought Bruce and I were just going to faint. They questioned, what kind of plane? Corsair. Why did your airplane crash? My plane was shot down. Who, who shot your plane? He looked at me like I was the village idiot. He said, the Japanese. Where did he take off from a boat? Do you remember the name of your boat? He said, Natoma. And his name? He always said James. But his name is James. Stunned by his son's words, Bruce tracked down veterans of the USS Natoma Bay. I wanted to disprove it. Columbus, Ohio native Leo Pyatt served on the ship. He asked uh, a few questions about, uh, did I know some of the people? Oh, yeah, I remember those people. Yes, there was a Jim Houston, a rather large shell just hit him in the, the engine and it burst into flames and, and went down. It was all real. James Houston, born and raised in the Midwest, was shot down over Chichijima, Japan. He got uh, very uh, quiet. The Liningers were speechless again when James met Natoma Bay veterans and recognized them by name. You're Bob Greenwald. <laughs> I'm serious. He never met Bob Greenwald. No, he never met him before. They tracked down James Houston's sister, Anne. And he goes, uh, it's not Anne, it's Annie. She wasn't my oldest sister. I had an older sister than that. And I said, you did? Who is that? And he goes, Ruth. I mean, Ruth. Eddie is what they called me when I was little, knowing my name and my sister's name, things that my brother did when he was a kid. It's too amazing to describe. James recalled his favorite childhood possessions. And when we spoke to them via Skype, they shared one specific story involving James Houston's mother. Annie had sent James the picture that her mother had painted of James Houston. And when James got it, he called Annie to thank her. And he said, where's the one mom painted of you? 
And so she went and found it and sent a copy. And later on, she told us that no one in the world except her brother and sister knew that there was an identical picture of Annie when she was the same age. Amazing stories like that caught the attention of Japanese filmmakers. Not long after our story aired, they flew James and his entire family to Chichijima, Japan, and the site of James Houston's plane crash. Took a tour of the island and got up on a ridge overlooking the harbor. James said, this is where the planes flew in the day my plane was shot down. Without any help, James knew exactly where the plane crashed. They held a memorial service and dropped flowers over the wreckage. And James just got so emotional and just lost it. And it was just the most heart-wrenching thing. But when it was over, it was cathartic. You know, it still gives me goosebumps to think that we actually got there and we were there and we were able to close the loop, especially for James, that it was, it was something really important to him. And when they returned, the death and destruction pictures were replaced with this. There's dolphins and there's... The Japanese ship has its flags flying. At James's urging, they put all of this and many more incredible stories on paper and published this new book, Soul Survivor. I hope that it helps people understand the meaning of how precious life is, how fast it can just blow away. The Leiningers say they aren't promoting reincarnation, before James, they didn't believe in it. And I really believe that there's a purpose to this story and that the God that created us wants this story told. And I also hope that it opens people's eyes up to reincarnation. You do? Yeah, I hope it opens people's eyes up to the fact that reincarnation can happen. It is a possibility. It's not a lie. Suzanne Stratford, Fox 8 News. Now, I'm not going to tell you a whole lot about this video right now. I just want you to kind of think about that a little bit, and it might uh, be puzzling. You might not really understand this. Maybe it's kind of caused some of you to think maybe there's something to that video. Well, we're going to talk about that here tonight. That's really one of the reasons why I think this is such an important issue. Seth Shostak, he used to be from SETI, which is Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. It used to be a government-funded program. He was asked, why do you think intelligent extraterrestrials exist? Here's his answer. To believe that they don't exist requires positing that what's happened on Earth is some sort of miracle. I find that premise a tougher sell than to think that intelligence is a fairly frequent development in a 14-billion-year-old cosmos. You see, in other words, it's if we don't, <laughs> you have to believe in a miracle or God. See, it's one or the other is basically what he's saying, because if there's a God, then we've got an explanation. If there's no God, it's got to be aliens. And really, he says, I can't accept God. That's the choice. The theory of relativity says you cannot travel faster than the speed of light. In order to move something the size of a pea, not very big at all, to just half the speed of light, the power and energy it would take to get that P to 50% of speed of light is 2.2 Hiroshima palms. We're talking an incredible amount of energy needed to get something the size of a P even to move. 
that fast. Speed of light is 186,000 miles per second, not hour, per second. At that speed, it can circle the Earth seven times in one second. That's how fast the speed of light is. You'd pass the moon at that speed in two seconds. It'd take you four minutes to get to Mars, five hours to Pluto, and 40 times further than the sun is how far Pluto is. So to give you some perspective there. The closest star, 4.2 light years away. A light year is how fast light goes in a year. It's a distance, not a measure of time, by the way. To get out of the Milky Way, it's going to take you 100,000 years at the speed of light. 2.3 million years to reach the next galaxy. 20 million years to reach the one after that. In other words, what I want you to see is we are dealing, when we're dealing with space and where aliens are supposed to live, with tremendous distances. Distances that are unrealistic, ultimately. There are so many stars that it would take you an entire lifetime and way beyond, about 700 years, to count them 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They estimate, I think, it's 10 to the 22nd power of stars. You might have heard things like LGM-1. They named these pulsars and different things like that. They called it LGM-1. NASA named it that. Why? You may know, well, it stands for Little Green Men. Yeah. What I want you to know is that NASA has a very backwards philosophy, a very backwards motivation to so much of what they study. Now, I'm not saying they don't do some good. I'm not saying that we can't gain some information and knowledge from them. What I'm saying is the driving force behind what they do is twisted. And a big part of that is they are looking for where life began. They are looking for life on outer space planets. That's why we have things like little green men naming things after this kind of idea that there are aliens out there. As speed increases, mass increases. So what that means is, even in space, the more mass you have, the more thrust you're going to need in order to propel it. So if I had a one-pound ball and a 30,000-pound ball in outer space, you think, hey, we're in space. It doesn't weigh anything. I could take a 30,000-pound ball and wing it across space. No. Why? Because mass matters. Yes, you could take a one-pound ball and wing it. But even though a 30,000-pound ball doesn't weigh anything, it has mass, and mass matters. You can do that, but you're going to be the one that's going to go away. So even in space, you know, we kind of have a a different idea of what you know weightlessness means and that kind of thing. It does matter. So to propel that one pound ball, rather than throwing it, but to get it to half the speed of light, it's going to take the equivalent of 98 Hiroshima bombs. A one pound ball, not a P that took two, now a one pound ball, 98. So you can see we're dealing with some amazing amounts of energy here. The space shuttle, to give you an idea of how much energy it uses, the space shuttle takes eight minutes to reach 17,000 miles per hour. To get out of the atmosphere, the escape velocity is 25,000 miles per hour. The main engine alone, 
weighs one-seventh of a train engine. That's incredible technology. But it needs the same power as 39 locomotives. So it is impressive. The turbo pump on the main engine can drain a pool, an average pool of fuel, in 25 seconds. The three main engines and the two rocket boosters will generate 7.3 million pounds of thrust at liftoff. This is impressive technology, but it doesn't even come close to what we need for space travel. You can even look at America's first manned rocket, the Redstone rocket. It produced 78,000 pounds of thrust, which is just 1%, just a little over 1% of what the space shuttle has. So you can see it's improved greatly. If you would convert heat energy to electric power, the two boosters of the space shuttle running for two minutes uses enough electricity to produce 2.2 million kilowatt hours. That's enough to take 87,000 homes and power them up. 87,000 for the entire day. Now this pales compared to what we really need to get to space travel. 50% of light speed to get the space shuttle up to that would take 23 million atomic bombs. To get it to 90%, you're looking at 73 million. You know, we're already in an energy crisis, aren't we? We're talking about, oh, we're running out of fossil fuels. We're running out. We need wind energy. We need solar. We're running out of energy. Do you really think that we're going to be able to get something to go that fast to do space travel? Not with the technology we have, not even improving the technology we have. There's no way, because that's enough. For 351 years of the entire United States energy. So we've got a problem. If there are aliens out on these stars and planets, which is what they're saying, how are we going to reach them? All right, we'll come back to that again in a minute. The Apollo spacecraft took three days to reach the moon, it would take 870,000 years to reach. <laughs> The first star. Now, because of this obvious problem, this is why they dream up things like warp speed, hyperspace, wormholes. If you watch Star Trek or Star Wars, you're familiar with those words. As a matter of fact, even if you don't watch those, you're becoming familiar with those words. It used to only be Star Trek, but now it's so called science. We throw the words in science, but is this even a possibility? Some would say yes. I think it's the Tesla guy that's working on some warp speed or something like that too. But I'm telling you guys, this isn't happening. It is not happening. What is a wormhole and that type of thing? Well, imagine if you took a piece of paper. On one end of the piece of paper, you have the letter A. On the other end of the piece of paper, you have the letter B. An 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, it's 11 inches to get from A to B. But what if... I could fold that piece of paper. Now, to get from A to B, it's just a little tiny space. All we have to do is fold space. And then all we have to do is create a wormhole to travel through to get from point A to point B. Voila! Space travel. Voila! Imagination. We cannot fold space in this room, let alone fold space in space. We can't create a wormhole. 
Okay, and really, even the theoretical science behind this is nonsense. But this is what we have to do in order to go meet aliens. So, aliens must come to us. So, we've been sending out messages and all of these kind of things, trying to attract aliens to come to us, of course. Now, I don't know why you would want to. If they can meet you, why would you want to meet them? What are you going to show them? The V8 engine? Hey, look at this. What are they going to want to do with you? Nothing, except for kill you, probably, right? There is absolutely no need for them to reach you. You should be scared to death. But what we see are all these movies like Independence Day and others where the aliens are coming and there's all these people that they come up to the top of the, the you know, high buildings with their signs, welcome, we're so excited to have you. And then <laughs> they kill them. You know, it's like, should have seen that one coming. <laughs> you shouldn't want to meet them because their technology would be so far advanced there's nothing they're going to want with you. We even have things like the red shift of light that's all around us. Now, what's interesting about that is the red shift of light indicates that we seem to be at the center of something. Evolutionists don't like to talk about this because that means we are kind of in an important location in the universe. A special location. But you see, we're supposed to not be special. We're just supposed to be another accident, just like all the other billions of stars and the planets that could be out there. We're not special. Now, everything that we study in science says we are special. Not only our location, but even the ability to have life on this planet, the anthropomorphic issues. Everything is just right. The spin, the distance from the sun, the atmosphere, what's in the atmosphere, everything is just right. So we are special. But you see, if there are life on other planets, you're not special, you're just another one of those. The search for extraterrestrial intelligence, Robert Jastrow, he used to say this, you know, the universe is billions of years older than Earth. And the reason, therefore, that we haven't been able to contact aliens is that they've had billions of years longer to evolve. They have simply evolved to invisibility. That's why you can't contact them or see them. They're just a highly evolved species. Evolved to invisibility. Now, this is kind of transferred into the religious realm of people like Shirley MacLaine, okay, and the New Agers and over the time and, and the seances. You see, when you contact these spirits, they're really not spirits. That's that's supernatural, biblical, religious stuff. We don't talk about that. They're really not spirits. They're highly evolved species. And so it's just, you know, that brainwave kind of thing that we're able to communicate with them. Not spiritual, it's just scientific. Well, that's really not scientific because it's not observable to prove that. But that's the kind of line that they're trying to say. It's interesting to me that there is nothing more complex on this earth than DNA. DNA is remarkable. Each one of you have about two tablespoons of DNA in your body. If you would take just one little drop of that DNA... There is so much information in it, it would just boggle your mind. If you would unravel that DNA, you know, it extends to the moon and back several million times. You could fill the Grand Canyon with books 40 times. 
with just all the information in that DNA. Now, some of it is repetitive information, but amazing. It is so complex. The more we know about DNA, the more it blows our mind. Now, that's a problem for evolution because, you see, evolution is supposed to be simple to complex, but what we have in the simplest thing of our body is the most complex thing of our body. How can that happen? Because DNA is information. Information can't come about by chance. You know, the old idea, well, you know, given enough time, it could happen. That's like a, a print factory blows up and the letters splatter all over the wall. Do you think any of you are going to get the word H-E-L-L-O on the wall, nice and neat? Hello? No, it won't happen no matter, how, no matter how many times you blow up that print shop. But let's say it did happen and those letters went on the wall. What does that mean? It means nothing if you can't have a language to read hello. It means how you doing? Okay, if you only speak Hebrew... It means nothing. It has to say shalom. Okay, if you're Japanese, it means nothing. You're going to need something like konnichiwa. So order is one thing. Information, that's another. And by the way, information can't evolve. It can't come about by chance. Information can only come from an intelligence. But you see, they're not able to admit that there's a God. Therefore, where did this information in DNA come from? Aliens brought it to earth and seeded the earth with it. This idea is called panspermia. That aliens are how life came to earth. Now, does that answer the question, how life came about? Does it answer the question where information came about? No, it only moves those questions from Earth to outer space. How did the information in the aliens come about? How did the life of the aliens come about? You see, it doesn't answer the question. It, it skirts the issue. Now again, I don't believe there are aliens, as you're going to see, at least not the way you're thinking, nor do I believe that that information evolved. This is the created information, and the, the one who put information in us is that intelligent designer named Jesus Christ. The idea is that they planted it on earth, they came, and every now and then they'll just kind of check in on us to see how their science experiment is doing. That's all you are, is an unspecial science experiment. Say, what good would it do to plant this bacteria or whatever, this information, anyway? You wouldn't know what evolution is going to do with it anyway. It just doesn't make any sense. John 3.13 also says this. No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Yet we seem to be looking for the heavens, for somebody to come out of the heavens. And he says no one has ever gone into heaven or is going to come from heaven really except for who? Jesus Christ. So scripturally speaking, should we say, are there aliens? Is there life in outer space planets? Are there, is there life in the heavens? Not scripturally speaking. Now again, I know there's a more complex than that. We'll, we'll hit on some of those things. But these are some of the things that I would like you to consider in asking yourself the question, do aliens exist? First of all, you need to think biblically. Consider this. They're claiming to be highly intelligent. As we said, where did it come from? It only moves the problem out there. 
If they are highly intelligent, somebody still had to give them intelligence. So, maybe God created them too. Well, we have a problem then. If God created aliens, and they're out there, we have to find them. Because there are two possibilities. They have either fallen into sin, or they have not fallen into sin. Let's take the possibility that they have fallen into sin. Well then, don't we need to witness to them? The Lord can't come back until all have been you know, witnessed to. So the Lord cannot come back until we preach the gospel to the universe. And boy, how are we going to know which ones there are life on? I mean, there could be, if there's one on one, life on one, there could be life in billions of these trillions and upon trillions of stars. All right, so let's say that they have not fallen into sin then. Well, now we have another problem. It's a perfect world. Jesus says that when he comes back, you know what the stars are going to do? They're going to fall from the sky. You know what's going to happen to this whole creation? It's going to be destroyed. Because you know what the Bible says in Romans? It says that all of creation has been cursed and is waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. Because it was, it was brought into bondage to decay, and it's waiting to be liberated from this bondage of decay. That means even stars. So God was unjust in bringing destruction then on a perfect society, a perfect world. So they can't be perfect. That would make God unjust. It just logically you can't go. Well, maybe Jesus went and died for them if they had fallen into sin. So, so we don't need to witness them. Jesus went and he died for them. That's not what the Bible says. Hebrews says Jesus died once for all. He cannot die again. The death he died, he died once for all. So he can't go and die for another planet. Can't do that either. So we're at kind of a catch-22 here. You, you, there's Neither one of these are going to work. The only answer is there are no aliens. But maybe that's not good enough for you yet either. Another thing I want you to consider. Do you know that these guys are claiming to come from other galaxies? I just showed you that these are distances that are so great that it's impossible for us to travel to them. So any of the science that we understand at all, there is no way they can get here. So we're dealing with a scientific impossibility at this point because it's not observable. Sure, you can have make-believe ideas and theories and guesses, but that's not science. Right now, it is scientifically impossible. And as I said, why would you want to meet them then? Because you know they're only going to want to destroy you. The other thing is, what is their motive? What would be their motive to come? Well... Do you know that people have seen aliens? Yeah, they've seen them. In researching this, I've read books written by people who have been abducted and people who you know, have claimed to have seen aliens, all kinds of stuff. You can even go to UFO conferences where people who have been abducted and, and have people talk. It's very interesting. But do you know that across the board, these aliens, when they come and they abduct people and when they talk to you, you know what the message is? We're here to help you. We're here to help you. Not to destroy you. We're here to help you. Why would they want to help you? In helping us, they always claim to be our Savior. And not only that, 
deny the Godhead of Jesus Christ. Now that's interesting because you know what? Scientists could give a rip about Jesus Christ, but aliens are very interested in talking about Jesus Christ. That's interesting. Why, almost across the board, do aliens want to deny the Godhead of Jesus Christ? Are they that spiritual? I think they are. Another interesting thing. Did you know that Christians can be abducted by aliens? There's a book written where this lady observed and interviewed all these Christians who had been abducted by aliens. Do you know that in every case, when they called on the name of Jesus, the abduction stopped? Now, why would that be? That the name of Jesus has power over these aliens. Because normally, what's going to happen is they want to rape and probe you and do all these kind of things, and you fight, and you try to do it, and eventually you just give in to them. But if you call on the name of Jesus, it's done. That seems odd, doesn't it? Let me show you some examples here of some people and authors. Like here we see Donna Higby. She's an abduction researcher and a hypnotherapist. She writes of the change that people go through after having been abducted. She says, I noticed a drastic change in the attitude of several of the abductees from one meeting to the next. People who had been traumatized all their lives by ongoing abductions and had only anger and mistrust for their non-human abductors. I'm going to interrupt you here for a moment. Look at this. Uh, traumatized? I thought they were here to help you. But yet, across the board, you're traumatized not helped. She goes on, they suddenly started saying that they had been told or shown that everything that has happened to them was for their own good. That the abductors are highly spiritual beings and are helping them, the abductees, to evolve spiritually. Now by accepting this information, the abductees stopped fighting the abduction and instead became passive and controlled. One of the fruits of the spirit, right? being controlled. Oh no, self-control. Notice though that they, by accepting this information, by surrendering to it, they become passive and controlled. When I checked with the other researchers, I found that this was a pattern that was repeating itself over and over around the country. I became concerned the abductees were accepting this explanation from entities that we know can be deceitful use screen memories to mask real memories, use virtual reality scenarios to implant images into abductees' heads, and manipulate and abuse. I wrote an article for the MUFON UFO Journal, September of 1995, and encouraged abductees to seriously think about what they were accepting as their truth in light of the evidence, not the explanations offered them by these non-human entities. So it seems to be the research is saying they can be deceitful. And she's saying, I want to send out a warning. It doesn't seem to be all this, you know, flowers and roses here. It, it seems to be more scary than that. They're lying to you. And that they can even plant images in your mind, thoughts in your head, to make you believe things that never really happened. 1 John 4, 1 through 3 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. 
because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. It sounds to me that the aliens have a spirit of the Antichrist. I'm not saying they are the Antichrist, I'm saying they have the spirit of the Antichrist. There have many that have been, many that are here now. Because they always deny the Godhead of Jesus. And I'm going to give you examples in a moment. But for now, I want you to understand, we're to test the spirits. Now, is God putting this in the Bible because, well, have you ever seen 1 John? It's a short book. We've got to make it a little longer. Let's just put something in there. I mean, no. God doesn't put things in His Word for no reason. But there are so many in the church today who think, oh, test the spirits. Oh, that's spiritual stuff. We don't know. Nope. About Jesus, that's it. Boom, we're done. This kind of thing doesn't happen anymore. I got news for you. This is New Testament, post-cross, post-resurrection. And he's warning you, test the spirits. I believe aliens are real. They're just not little green men. It is a demonic spiritual being that has been around since creation. And we're going to show more evidence of that. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Jesus made angels. They are created beings. Some of them are fallen angels. Those fallen angels are demons. And He says, though, that He is still in control of all of them, whether they are visible or invisible. Oh. Invisible. We only believe in science, things that we can see. I don't. I believe in what I can see and what the Word of God says. There are invisible things. There are powers. There are thrones. There are authorities beyond God. Now, God is the authority of them, but there are small authorities, small gods. You know, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, a spirit, again. He says, look at all these kingdoms, I'll give them to you. I used to think that was a pretty empty you know, promise. It's like, what? God owns them, you don't own them. What kind of temptation is that? Because they do have powers, they do have realms, they do have authorities. That's why when Jesus comes back, you read in Revelation 11 at the seventh trumpet, it says the kingdom of God has, or the kingdom of this world has now become the kingdom of God. The prince of this world now stands condemned, but he hasn't been thrown into that lake of fire yet. He merely stands condemned. We fight a spiritual battle today. And it comes in many different forms. Ephesians 6 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But again, so many people in the church, oh, 
that's nonsense. What, God just filling space again? He says it is not against flesh and blood. It is against these spiritual forces. Where? Heavenly realms. Yet isn't it interesting that so many ungodly people today, and sadly some Christians, where are we looking for information? The heavens. The heavens. The answers are out there. Oh, you keep looking for them there. You're going to find them someday. They may not be good answers, but you'll get some answers. Genesis 3 says that you will not surely die. That's what Satan said to Adam and Eve, right? You're not going to die. What's he do? He calls God a liar. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You know what's interesting to me? The devil doesn't change his methods. What's the message of these aliens? You too can be a God. We're here to help you evolve spiritually so that you can be a God. The same trick that Satan played on Adam and Eve, he's playing on people today, and we keep taking it hook, line, and sinker. That amazes me. I mean, you know, how you always kind of, you know, take and, you know, what's on your shirt? If you went to somebody and did that, and then three seconds later said, what's on your shirt? And he did it again, and then three seconds later you do it again, pretty soon you're going to think, this guy doesn't have a brain in his head. What Satan must think of us? For 6,000 years, he's been able to play the same trick on us over and over and over again. God didn't really say, that's not right. He's lying, and we keep buying it. He's got to be up there going, I can't believe how stupid these guys are. Same tricks, just different form. Evolution, the same thing. Oh, God didn't really create the world this. This is how it happened, without God. 2 Corinthians 11 says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's interesting that a lot of the times with these abductions, or even the spirits that people will talk to that they know are spirits, oftentimes appear very friendly and nice at first. In one case, this demon basically uh, was very pretty and beautiful, and then all of a sudden, for a split second, became very ugly and scary and fearful and, and basically kept telling this person that you need to learn to trust me no matter what I look like. You know, that's just one of many examples. But the point is, is that Satan knows he's going to disguise himself as good. He doesn't come looking. I mean, if he came in his you know, natural self, I'm sure we would be like, ah, and run. But instead, he makes himself look beautiful and attractive so that we want to know more. Even though the Word of God tells us to stay away from it. Remember, Satan wasn't alone when he was cast out of heaven. It seems that he took a third of the angels with him, according to the Scriptures there. Let me show you here Whitley Strieber in The Transformation. He says this. Now, he's a New Age author here as well. Whatever the visitors are, I suspect that they have been responsible for much paranormal phenomena, ranging from the appearance of gods, angels, fairies, ghosts, and miraculous beings to the landing of UFOs in the backyards of America. 
It may be that what happened to Muhammad in his cave, Christ in Egypt, Buddha in his youth, and to all our great prophets and seers was an exalted version of the same humble experience that causes a flying saucer to traverse the sky for a visitor to appear in a bedroom or light to fill circle of friends. First of all, I want you to notice what is he putting Christ as? Just one of those great prophets, just like Buddha. Okay, Nothing special about Jesus, at least no more special than, than Buddha or Muhammad. But he says that whatever these things are, they do cause things to be seen. Flying saucers, light to fill a room. You know, I remember when I was a kid and I'd hear stories about that, and you think, oh, these people are nuts. They're weird. Because they're not nuts. These are normal human beings that have been deceived. Remember, they can give you mask memories and, and virtual reality memories. They can make you see things that aren't real, which is why you have to test everything according to the Word of God. Remember Heaven's Gates? They believed that behind the Hale-Bopp comet was a spaceship that they were going to be able to get on. And there were many people who committed suicide to get on to this spaceship. Sad. Did they just pull this stuff out of thin air and everybody buy it? Or maybe there was some more miraculous deceptions that were going on that made them actually believe that this was true. Brad Steiger's 1989 book called The Fellowship, he writes of these aliens with the name Semyasi. Now, it's the same blonde alien that visited a guy named Billy Meyer and Fred Bell, of whom Semyasi told them the Bible had been translated wrong. Again, for whatever reason, these aliens are very concerned about the Bible and Jesus. But they said that the Bible had been translated wrong. Francie Steiger, Brad's first wife, she channeled messages from an alien named Kahif. Kahif gave her an alternate history of the world and explained a way of salvation, a different gospel from the one outlined in the Bible and believed by Christians for 20 centuries. According to Kahif, the serpent people, who he says were represented by the serpent described in the Garden of Eden, helped create mankind. Francis says that we should believe him because he speaks only of God and of goodness. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds to me like God, but a false version of him. An alternate history of salvation, a different gospel, a serpent people. Well, the devil was the serpent, but this one helped create humankind. You see, the devil always mimics what God does. God is a trinity, so you have an anti-trinity, the anti Father and the dragon, the anti-Holy Spirit, and the anti-false prophet, okay, anti-Christ as well. So anti-Spirit, anti-Christ, anti-Father. Jesus is called the morning star. Guess who else is? The devil is called the morning star. He's coming on a white horse. Interestingly, in the Quran, there their Messiah, which is really the Antichrist, is supposed to come on a white horse too. It seems like everything, he tries to mimic God. And so now here, he's, he's the creator of all things. How about the word Ashtar? Does that bring any 
ideas to your head? If you read your Bible, it will, because Ashtar is in the Bible all over the place. But did you also know that's the name of a very famous alien? Yeah. You go to an abduction conference and you talk about Ashtar, everybody's going to know who you're talking about because he's a famous alien. He began in the 1950s again and continues to this day. He took the vocal cords over of this author, T. James, and basically said that Ashtar used to be bad, but he's now good and he works with Jesus. Just kind of like what Francie said, you know, that, hey, he's good, he works with Jesus. Well, he appeared to a famous abductee, George Van Tassel, and he was told that he needed to save the world from itself. Do you know another common message among alien abductions is not only that we need to save you and help you, but you need to save the world. Greenpeace, global warming, all of these kind of things come up very often. You have to save the world. Now, what's the Bible say? Does the Bible say the world is in trouble from us? Uh-uh. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we don't have a responsibility to have good stewardship of what God has given us. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do that. What I'm saying is this idea of global warming and Greenpeace and all these other things are nuts. Okay? And not only scientifically, but spiritually and biblically. But there's a reason that these demons are constantly bringing this stuff up. John Keel, one of the most respected of ufologists, wrote this. Thousands of mediums, psychics, and UFO contactees have been receiving mountains of messages from Ashtar in recent years. Ashtar is not a new arrival. Variations of this name, such as Ashtoreth, Ashar, Ashtara, appear in demonological literature throughout history, both in the Orient and the Occident. Mr. Ashtar had been around a very long time, posing as assorted gods, demons, and now in the modern phase, as another glorious spaceman. Ashtar has been around a long time. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings 11.33, he says, I will do this because they, these Israelites, have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians. Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, Molech, the god of the Ammonites. They have not walked in my ways nor done what is right in my eyes. You know, I used to read the Bible and think, again, these guys had to have been morons. Who in their right mind would take this pole and start worshiping it and, mean, and think that this is really a god? Sacrifice their kids to it. Nobody would do that without being deceived. I truly believe that these people saw miracle signs and wonders. Maybe voices that came out of these statues and idols. Maybe hovering over the ground. Maybe changing shape. Maybe I don't know. All I know is that the same thing happens today where people are deceived by seeing things that aren't real. That they admit they do all the time. That Jesus warned us would happen. Matthew 24. There will be signs in the heavens to deceive the elect if that were possible. And yet we keep thinking, oh, that doesn't happen. Because we think that everything has to be in the natural. Even though he keeps warning us, there's a lot going on in the supernatural. It says that Ashtoreth was a female consort of Baal, according to Strong's Concordance. 
Some Bible scholars say her name means star. She was worshipped as the moon goddess and the goddess of Venus. Chemosh, according to Strong's Bible Concordance, is associated with Baal of Peor, signifying the worship of Mars and Saturn. Molech, the Assyrian god, was associated with Saturn. The point I want you to see is what are they associated with? The heavens. Worshipping the stars and all of these kinds of things. Looking to the heavens. Ecclesiastes warns us and tells us what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No, nothing new. The devil is not only using the same tricks, but some of the same devils are being used. Deuteronomy 18, let no one be found among you who sacrifices his son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination, sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is a medium, a spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord, and because of these detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. You see, guys, the Bible warns us you don't dabble with this stuff. Anyone who does these things, you have nothing to do with them at all. Consulting the dead, medium, spiritists. But again, Christians, so many of them have avoided the spiritual realm and only want to live in the natural like evolutionists. They're missing the point. They're missing truth. And they're being deceived. You know, I've been at Christian schools where it's required reading to read Harry Potter. Christian schools. Now, I've never read Harry Potter. I'll admit that. So I don't know everything about it. But I know this, that I know that Satanists say that some of the spells and the words and the names that she uses are real and right out of their worship. So she's either done really good worship. Some have even claimed that there's no way she'd know all these things unless she's actually practiced witchcraft. She denies that. I don't know. All I know is why would we read something about spiritists and, and mediums and witchcraft and get pleasure out of it? I'd say you better check your spirit because there's something wrong. If we're getting pleasure out of witchcraft and things like, oh, it's just entertainment, then you've got a problem and you better think about it because that's not biblical. The Bible warns us. And you may think, it's just a book. I got news for you. We don't battle with flesh and blood. We battle with principalities. We are battling a spiritual battle. And when you read that book or watch those things on TV, you have opened yourself up to a spiritual attack. certain video games, certain things on TV. It is a spiritual battle, and Jesus warned you. And we just think, oh, that's just spiritual mumbo-jumbo. It's not real. Did you know that many aliens can tell your future or your past, know things about your past? Again, people always think, oh, that's Old Testament. No, this is New Testament, post-cross, post-resurrection, Look at this, in Acts chapter 16, 
Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. There's a number of things I want to point out here. Number one, it's a spirit that gave this woman the ability to do this. You don't want to believe in spirits? Well, then you better not believe in Scripture. Number two, the name of Jesus, cast it out. Just like these aliens, you call on them, I call on the name of Jesus, the abduction stops. Number three, she was able to tell the future, and you read this and you go, well, she told the truth. But always with some kind of twist. Yes, they were telling them the way to be saved. I don't know if it was sarcastic. Oh, these men are telling you the most high God. You know, something mocking or, or I, I don't know. But all I know is that Paul could tell this is a spirit. There was something wrong and it was gone when he cast it out in the name of Jesus. If it can happen then, in a post-cross, post-resurrection, it can happen today. And you know what? It does all the time. It's just that we are too ignorant and unwilling to accept it. We have psychics and seances and all kinds of things that people use Ouija boards and stuff like that for, don't they? And they see things. And we laugh it off. Or it's entertainment or whatever. Nah, -uh, this isn't entertainment. This is serious, folks. That's why this is important. Because the idea of do aliens exist goes beyond little green men. It goes to so many areas of, of what's happening in our society and where our kids are being led astray. I know a person personally who her grandmother died. She was very close to her grandmother. She went to a psychic in a mall. And that psychic said that her grandmother had said this and wanted her to know something. I don't know what it was. All I know is that it was something that only her grandmother would have known. And this woman was a Christian, by the way. Well, that set the hook, and she had to go back to see it again because she missed her grandmother so much. And, it, you know, today she's not walking with the Lord anymore because she dabbled. I'll tell you something. If I was on my dying bed and I whispered something to my daughter or my son, and then I died. And three years later, they go and they talk to a psychic or whatever, and they tell that daughter or something, the very thing that I whispered. Do you think that that might go, make them go, oh, it is true. It is my dad. I think it would for a lot of people. But you know something? I think there's somebody other than that, my daughter or son, that could have heard me say that. A spirit in the room. But again, that means we have to accept the spiritual realm. And that happens to millions of people where they get deceived and hooked because we think it's innocent and it doesn't really matter or we can laugh it off as, oh, those psychics, uh, you know, too bad they didn't see that one coming. This is serious stuff. 2 Kings 21 says, we, He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had destroyed. 
erected altars to Baal made in the Sherah pole, as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. He bowed down to the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem I will put my name. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts, sacrificed his own son in the fire, practiced sorcery, divination, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. They bowed down and worshipped the constellations, the stars, and the gods that came from the heavens. And today, like I said, I think we're doing the same thing. NASA's out there trying to find life on Mars. They're trying to, to find all the answers in outer space. We're looking for aliens to help us. We're looking for aliens because they're the ones that gave us DNA. And that's the information. We're constantly going and we're worshiping the heavens. As I said, Bill Nye, the science guy at the eclipse, said, don't stare at the sun too long. You're going to want to keep looking at it. It's like a deity. And we think, oh, those are funny. No. Let me ask you this. Do you think Mormonism could have started because of aliens? Or demons? How did Mormonism come about? Well, there was an angel that appeared to him, Moroni, right? To Joseph Smith. And rather than testing the spirits to see if they were from God, he bought into it. And by the way, he did get screen memories. He saw these gold plates and things like that that have never been found, right? Yeah, that's how it happened. Deuteronomy 13 says, If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if that sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, Let us follow other gods. Isn't that what happened to Joseph Smith? A god, an angel came to him and said, Let us worship other gods. Another book, a book of Mormon. He says, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and soul. It's the Lord your God you must follow and him you must revere. But that's Old Testament. Well, Galatians 1 in the news says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. That's New Testament saying angels will appear and try and give you a false gospel. I'll help you evolve spiritually. There's another way. Jesus isn't Godhead. Here are gold plates. Or how about the Church of Scientology too? The Church of Scientology was founded by science fiction writer L. Ron Hubbard. Its beliefs come right out of one of its novels. In the March 16, 2003 New York Post, he said it was birthed from Satanist Aleister Crowley. Now, if you don't know Aleister Crowley, he is known as the father of Satanism. He wrote the Satanic Bible. He's on all kinds of album covers and stuff like that. Hubbard had met Crowley in the latter's Los Angeles temple in 1945. Hubbard's son reveals that Hubbard claimed to be Crowley's successor. Hubbard told him that Scientology was born on the day Crowley died. So today, Scientologists perform some of the same rites and rituals that Crowley invented, all designed to free practitioners from guilt. There's only one thing that can take away the guilt. Jesus Christ. Every other religion has some means of 
works righteousness, getting rid of things, but not Christianity. It's Jesus and Jesus alone that can do that. Hubbard said that the Thetans or gods were uncreated and eternal beings free from all laws. They populated the universe. They created time, space, and energy. They were the ones that were banished to earth by an evil galactic ruler named Zenu. Isn't that interesting? They're the creator of everything, but they, they get banished. Sounds to me like truth twisted. Well, they now inhabit human bodies. Originally, they were only in plants, but because of evolution, they've now entered humans to attain a higher spirituality. So to remove these thetans from your body, you need to get hooked up to these things called e-meters. Now, it can cost several hundred thousand dollars to get them out. It really kind of depends on how much money you have. And the more famous you are, the more expensive it seems to be. The Church of Scientology is evil with evil roots. And we have you know, famous people like uh, Tom Cruise, uh, Kirstie Alley, John Travolta. Yeah, all that are caught up in this kind of lie. Yet it came from Satanism. It's, it's a scary thing. Louis Farrakhan, he was the popular leader of the Nation of Islam movement. Did you know that he has been abducted by aliens? He was a former UFO contactee, according to Washington Post. Says that he was taken aboard a UFO and met a master, Elijah Muhammad, the former Nation of Islam leader. 1 Timothy 4 says the Spirit clearly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. I think we're there. I just never thought the church would buy into it. You know, when I ask in the church if I'm not speaking on aliens, how many of you think there could be life on outer space planets? Well over half of the hands will go up in a church today. Because we don't think biblically anymore. There's even a sexual connection. Former Harvard psychiatrist wrote this book here, Johnny Mack. He writes about these encounters with aliens. He takes 13 abductees and tracks them to see how their life was changed because of these abductions and their sexual encounters. Why so often when aliens abduct people that there's some sexual connection? Yet, that is closely connected to satanic worship. Isn't it? Yeah. Now, I'm not going to get into all the details of all of that. But I will give you this, what we can read here in history. Augustine, and he says, In the past, hundreds of men and women confessed, not always under torture, to sexual intercourse with demons. Some shape-shifting demons were said to lie with a man as a succubus to obtain sperm and then as an incubus to impregnate a woman with it. Ufologists in particular have been aware of the structural similarities between accounts of fairy and alien encounters. The succubus and incubus encounters were known as demons throughout history. You know, there's a rock group out there called Incubus. Many Christians would listen to it too. But many of them are naive to even what that means. Augustine of Canterbury founded the Church of England and he said, it's a widespread opinion confirmed by direct or indirect testimony of trustworthy persons 
that the Slavins and Fawns, commonly called the Incubi, have often tormented women, solicited and obtained intercourse with them. There are even demons, which are called deuces by the Gauls, who are quite frequently using such impure practices. This is vouched for by so numerous and so high authorities, it would be impudent to deny it. They knew it. I know a person personally, who I'm not going to get into details, but basically had scratches on her back by herself. Scared her to death. I don't understand this stuff. I'm just telling you, they knew about it, and it happens. It's evil. You know, Genesis 6.4 says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward when the sons of God went to the daughters of men and had children by them. They were hearers of old, men of renown. This verse, I mean, books have been written on this verse. The sons of God marrying the daughters of men. Who are these sons of God? Well, there's different ideas out there. One, that they are fallen angels, and that is what I believe. And that's what I'm going to spend most of my time talking about. Two, that they are godly descendants of Seth. In other words, godly men married ungodly women, just unequally yoked. And the result were giants for some reason. Then you have kings described as gods, that they were powerful men. Donald Trump marrying your daughter. And then there's the idea of humans possessed by demonic fallen angels, which basically kind of goes into the fallen angel aspect. I really am probably more on the line of number four. The word sons of God is a unique word. It's B'nai Elohim. That word is only used five times in the Old Testament. Two times in Genesis 6 and then in Job 1, 2, and 38. Now the Genesis 6 one I just read to you. The only ones left are here in Job. Outside of Genesis, it always refers to angels. So if I'm going to let Scripture interpret Scripture, then in Genesis 6, these are angels, because it's clear that they are angels in Job. Angels are always male in nature, and it was the view held by the Septuagint and the ancient Jewish scholars as well as Josephus, almost all the early church fathers, that these sons of God were fallen angels or people possessed by fallen angels. If you ask most pastors today, the sons of God will simply be godly men. Because they say, look, in Matthew 22, Jesus says, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. At the resurrection, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage. They will be like angels in heaven. You see, angels can't marry people. So this can't be fallen angels or you know, possession of angels. It's just people. Well, that's really not what Matthew 22 is talking about. First of all, there's a couple of huge loopholes here. Jesus says, you err in the scriptures. You don't know the scriptures because you see at the resurrection. What about before the resurrection? Because the whole context of this is after the resurrection. And not only that, he says, but they will be like angels in heaven. What about angels not in heaven? What about fallen angels? that would disobey God's rules. So, not only is that not the context, you know, from Genesis 6, it still doesn't answer it if it was the context that these couldn't be angels in Genesis 6. 
As far as them being Sethites, well, then why not just call them the sons of Seth? The sons of God, sons always male in nature. The kings, you know, just regular kings, the text just doesn't warrant that. Demons is the only possible explanation, especially when you let Scripture interpret Scripture, I believe. Jude 6 and 7 says, The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. King James says they went after strange flesh. Angels did not keep their authority. Why? They abandoned their home. They were kept in darkness. Something, there was a punishment involved here because of some sin that they did. What was it? It doesn't say. However, it does say in a similar way, which means kind of the same thing. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah did something. It was a sexual sin. These angels did not keep their positions of authority because of a sexual sin. They went after some strange flesh, it seems. Human flesh. This passage links sexual sins of Sodom with fallen angels that didn't keep their place. You also can't deny 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4-6. through 6. It says, For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell... Now that word hell is interesting there. It's the word Tartarus. It's not your normal Hades. This is a specific word. It seems like a, a permanent holding place. Putting them in gloomy dungeons, just like we saw here in Jude, it says, kept in darkness putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, okay, and it goes on. They're being held there. Do you recall when Jesus casts out the demons into the pigs and whatnot? Don't torture us before the appointed time. They're able to roam around, but not these. These have a special punishment of Tartarus. Why is this in the days of Noah? What about the days after Noah? There is some specific judgment for these angels who disobeyed long ago in the days of Noah. A specific time period. The Genesis 6, by the way, is talking about. Now, they are there afterward, the Bible says, too. They were also after the flood. We see these giants. But these are punished at that point. 1 Peter 3 says, For Christ died for sins once for all, but the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison. A holding place. Who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Possibly another mention here of these angels. These sons of God are called the Nephilim. It means giants because of the Greek word gigantus. Gigantus is the Greek word for titans, the legendary giant offspring of Uranus, heaven, and Gaia, earth. They were regarded as half God and half man. Cronus was the most famous titan who supposedly led the titans in war against Zeus, but Zeus defeated the titans and put them in Tartarus. All right, so there's a connection here. In the wider Apocrypha, 
we have something called the book of Enoch. Now, I do not believe Enoch should be in the Bible. I believe it's what we call pseudopigraphical. We don't believe that what we have found was really written by Enoch. It's a copy of a copy of a copy of who knows what. I do know this, that Enoch was a prophet. The Bible talks about it. I do know that the book of Jude quotes Enoch. So that it's true. I just don't think that what we have is the real book of Enoch. It's a corrupted version. I do not believe that this should be canonized. So you have to take this with a grain of salt. But it is interesting to look at this and connect it to what we do see Scripture saying. First of all, Enoch was... Noah's great-grandfather, a righteous man, according to the Bible. Remember, he walked with God and then was no more. Well, during the 18th century, fragments of the book of Enoch here were found in the Dead Sea area, dating only to about the 2nd century B.C. It is old, and it does have some good things. I would say maybe some good history. Here's where Jude quotes it. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone, to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in an ungodly way and of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Here's the book of Enoch. Behold, he cometh with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, to destroy all the ungodly, to convict all flesh of all the works of their ungodliness, which they have ungodly committed, and of all the hard things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So, clearly, Jude was quoting the book of Enoch. Well, look what the book of Enoch says in regards to what's going on here in Genesis 6 with the sons of God marrying the daughters of men. It came to pass when the children of men had multiplied that in those days were born unto them beautiful, comely daughters. The angels, the children of heaven, saw and lusted after them and said to one another, Come, let us choose us wives from among the children of men and beget us children. And Semyasi, who was their leader, uh, do you remember that name? Semyasi, the blonde alien who appeared to Bill Meyer and said that, you know, the Bible had been translated wrong. Same names, just like Ashtoreth was used, Semiasi. He says, I fear you will not indeed agree to do this deed, and I alone shall have to pay the penalty of a great sin. And they all answered him and said, Let us all swear an oath, and all bind ourselves by mutual imprecations not to abandon this plan, but to do this thing. And swear they all together, bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. They were in all two hundred who descended in the days of Jared on the summit of Mount Hermon. They called it Mount Hermon because they had sworn and bound themselves by mutual imprecations upon it. And these are the names of their leaders. And it goes on and names the leaders here. And then one of them is Asazel. Again, if you check that out, this is the demon of the wilderness. I talk about it in my presentation on the stars, God's word in the sky slightly, but I won't get it into it today outside of the fact that it is a demon god, and that the scapegoat was named Azazel. I believe Barabbas was the scapegoat of Azazel, the one where the sins were off, taken off into the desert. The other goat was a sacrifice that Jesus was. One took away the sins, the one kept it, and it went back to its original owner, they thought. Well, the demons. Sins go back on the original owner. So anyway, it names all these leaders. And all the others with them took upon themselves wives, and each chose for himself one, 
They began to go in unto them and to defile themselves with them, and they taught them charms and enchantments, the cutting of roots. Sounds like drugs, doesn't it? Pharmacia. They acquainted with plants, and they became pregnant, and they bear great giants. Large people whose height was 3,000 L's, who consumed all the acquisitions of men, and when men could no longer sustain them, the giants turned against them and devoured mankind. They began to sin against birds and beasts and reptiles, sodomy and bestiality, fish to devour one another's flesh, to drink the blood. Then the earth laid accusation against the lawless ones. How did it lay accusations? Noah's flood. Just like the Bible says. So this seems to be a historical record that lines up with Scripture. That the sons of God fallen angels, B'nai Elohim, came down, I believe, possessed human beings. You know, 1 Corinthians 6, it warns about sexual immorality. It says, do not unite yourself with a prostitute. Why? You become one with her. If you sleep with a demon-possessed person, do you become one with them? Absolutely. You sleep with a prostitute, you become one with her. You sleep with your husband or your wife, you become one with them. You sleep with a demon-possessed person, you become one with them. Do you think there could be some spiritual ramifications to that? Perhaps even physical ramifications. You bet. See, I think that's what happened. We know that all other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but the sin of sexual immorality that one's different. There is a unity involved in sexual sins. And I think the devil knows it, which is why not only is it such a theme in alien abductions, but it is in satanic rituals. Because there's something special about that. And I could go on and on, but I'm not going to get into that much tonight. But the point is, is that the offspring could be different because of this. Do you know that demon possession in the Old Testament, did it cause physical changes? Yeah. Foam at the mouth, throw the kid down by the fire, give him extra strength as in legion. So do you suppose then that it could cause giants? Quite possible. I'm going to show you this video here now. Whatever. There you go. <laughs> 11-year-old James Leininger looks and acts like most boys his age, but beneath his playful spirit is a very deep soul. And I said, you know, I'm really glad you're my son, and I'm uh, uh, just really fun to have you as my son. And he says, well, he said, I know, that's why I picked you. When we first met Bruce, Andrea, and James in 2005, his passion for World War II fighter planes was obvious. I can beat the Japanese easiest pie. The fascination began when he was a toddler. The pilot put him on. James seemed intimately familiar with the aircrafts. He started doing these little drawings of airplanes shooting at other airplanes are being shot down. Bombing ships, you see men parachuting. Here's another one where planes are dropping bombs. This is a carrier. The violent drawings were followed by extreme night terrors. He would just be crying. It's an airplane crash on fire, a little man can't get out. He laid on his back and kicked up at the ceiling and he goes, Mama, the little man's going like this. And he laid on his back and kicked his feet up. The little man's going, ooh, 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 can't get out. 
And I said, well, who's the little man, baby? And he goes, me. I thought Bruce and I were just going to faint. They questioned, what kind of plane? Corsair. Why did your airplane crash? My plane was shot down. Who, who shot your plane? He looked at me like I was a, a village idiot. He said, the Japanese. Where did he take off from a boat? Do you remember the name of your boat? He said, Natoma. And his name? He always said James, but his name is James. Stunned by his son's words, Bruce tracked down veterans of the USS Natoma Bay. I wanted to disprove it. Columbus, Ohio native Leo Pyatt served on the ship. He asked uh, a few questions about, uh, did I know some of the people? Oh, yeah, I remember those people. Yes, there was a Jim Houston, or rather large shell just hit him in the, the engine and it burst into flames and, and went down. It was all real. James Houston, born and raised in the Midwest, was shot down over Chichijima, Japan. He got uh, very uh, quiet. The Liningers were speechless again when James met Natoma Bay veterans and recognized them by name. You're Bob Greenwald. <laughs> I'm serious. He never met Bob Greenwald. No, he never met him before. They tracked down James Houston's sister, Anne. And he goes, uh, it's not Anne, it's Annie. She wasn't my oldest sister. I had an older sister than that. And I said, you did? Who was that? And he goes, Ruth. I mean, Ruth. Eddie is what they called me when I was little, knowing my name and my sister's name, the things that my brother did when he was a kid. It's too amazing to describe. James recalled his favorite childhood possessions. And when we spoke to them via Skype, they shared one specific story involving James Houston's mother. Annie had sent James the picture that her mother had painted of James Houston. And when James got it, he called Annie to thank her. And he said, where's the one mom painted of you? And so she went and found it and sent a copy. And later on, she told us that no one in the world except her brother and sister knew that there was an identical picture of Annie when she was the same age. Amazing stories like that caught the attention of Japanese filmmakers. Not long after our story aired, they flew James and his entire family to Chichijima, Japan, and the site of James Houston's plane crash. Took a tour of the island and got up on a ridge overlooking the harbor. James said, this is where the planes flew in the day my plane was shot down. Without any help, James knew exactly where the plane crashed. They held a memorial service and dropped flowers over the wreckage. And James just got so emotional and just lost it. And it was just the most heart-wrenching thing. But when it was over, it was cathartic. You know, it still gives me goosebumps to think that we actually got there and we were there and we were able to close the loop, especially for James, that it was, it was something really important to him. And when they returned, the death and destruction pictures were replaced with this. There's dolphins and there's... The Japanese ship has its flags flying. At James's urging, they put all of this and many more incredible stories on paper and published this new book, Soul Survivor. I hope that it helps people understand the meaning of how precious life is, how fast it can just blow away. The Leiningers say they aren't promoting reincarnation, before James, they didn't believe in it. And I really believe that there's a purpose to this story and that the God that created us wants this story told. And I also hope that it opens people's eyes up to reincarnation. You do? Yeah, I hope it opens people's eyes up to the fact that reincarnation can happen. It is a possibility. It's not a lie. Suzanne Stratford, Fox 8 News.
you see when I showed this video to you at the beginning, many of you maybe a bit were confused. You know, I can show this to youth, and you know what they think? Wow, maybe reincarnation is true. Because how can you deny what's right in front of you? Why? Because we don't think biblically. We don't think spiritually. I got news for you. Whether aliens exist or not, knowing the answer helps you understand this video better now, doesn't it? But yet this guy is saying, the God that created you. Oh, he must be a Christian. And then the little boy, the fact that reincarnation does happen. It can happen. See, our kids, this is on Fox News. Our kids can be sitting home at TV and they see this. And if they don't have a foundation, a biblical and spiritual foundation, this is the kind of thing that deceives them. And they hear these things all the time. Do aliens exist affects much more than whether you think they're little green men or not. It affects so many things in the spiritual realm because those little green men are just one way in which the devil tries to deceive people on earth. So that's why this is so important. I want you to just kind of consider these thoughts here in closing. Could Semyasi be the same demon, Billy Meyer, and the one in Enoch? Are they the sons of God all over again? Could the alien Ashtar be the same heavenly demon that's named in the Bible as Ashtar that the Israelites worship? Are we looking for information from the heavens? All it would take is the Antichrist to come and pose as this heavenly alien. And how many Christians would follow it? Because I see him right there. It wouldn't take much for him to say, here you go, and they, you know, here I am. Remember Matthew 24, Jesus warned, there will be signs and wonders in the heavens that are going to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. It's coming. Jesus warned us. If it weren't for evolution, would we even have a reason to look for aliens? Again, they've evolved billions of years longer than we have. They've evolved to invisibility. If it wasn't for evolution, there's no reason people would even be looking for them. Wouldn't spiritual dimensions make so much more sense than space travel? I showed you space travel can't happen, but spiritual dimensions do. Maybe that's how they're reaching us. The name of Jesus can stop an abduction, so clearly they aren't our saviors. Jesus is our savior. From salvation and from them. From sin, I should say, and from them. Since there is a sexual connection between demons and aliens, could they be one and the same? If Galatians 1 says that if we are an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach, let him be eternally condemned, Maybe we ought to listen to God's word rather than saying, oh, that's not going to happen. Maybe we ought to say, we need to test the spirits because they're all around us. And if this kid is telling me that he's reincarnated, I can tell you it isn't true. Period. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to be confused. I just have to believe. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you.